Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thankful for Christ, and we're thankful that having Him is enough. And we pray that You would help us to live for Him who died for us. Lord, we are happy to serve Him and to give up ourselves uh, for the sake of others because of what He has done for us. And we're happy to use the resources that we have for Your glory because of Christ and the relationship that we now have with You. So help us to think about how to properly use our resources, specifically our money, and uh, we'll give You the praise for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19 as we begin our final class here on, on money. Matthew chapter 19. Here we read about a familiar story, but also a tragic story, an interaction between Jesus and a young man who had much wealth. And so let's uh, read the text together. Would someone read that for us, and, and the rest of us will follow follow along. Matthew six. I'm sorry, nineteen sixteen to twenty two. Through, through 22. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What like I yet? And Jesus said unto him, Thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that which thou hast given to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away prosperous, for he had great possessions. All right, so, one second here. So we understand uh, in the bigger picture, Jesus is trying to point the young man to salvation. And you also understand that um, you don't have to be poor in order to be saved. That's not the point that he was making. He's simply saying you need to remove the God that you're following, in his case money, and follow me completely. Uh, And so we can learn several things about money in this passage. First, we learn that our pocketbooks are not off limits when it comes to following Jesus. That is, you know, with this section or compartment of my life, I'll follow Jesus. But with this section over here, my money, my resources, my assets, I'm going to, I'm going to use those however I want. In fact, money is so central to discipleship, it means the difference between obtaining, in this case, or losing eternal life. So, so we need to think about money in terms of its eternal uh, value. And one of the challenges that money and possessions have is that um, the problems that we have with money are not always easy to identify. And part of the reason is because we've just grown up in a culture that, that thinks about money in a certain way. We're like a fish who's lived in water our whole life and we don't realize it because we've just grown up that way. 
and what really is a luxury we've determined to be a need and we become more and more dependent on things and money and less dependent on God. And that just happens based on the world that's forcing us or crushing us or or, uh, conforming us into its mold. So how do we approach this really deadly problem? Remember in 1 Timothy, um, it talks about that that many have have gone away into foolish and harmful lusts. And in the context, it's talking about money. And they've they've brought about perdition, that is destruction, final destruction. So so it is a dangerous thing. You remember in the parable of the soils, one of the one of the types of soil was the one with the thorns. That that as there there's first this desire to serve God that, that pokes up out of the ground, and but then the the wealth and riches and the desire to have actually chokes out that desire to follow God, and as a result, uh, that soil is not a a soil that represents a person who's a genuine believer. And so someone can get excited about following Christ like this rich young ruler does. He comes and he says, "Hey, listen, I've done all these things," and Jesus says, "But but." You know, is money still your God? And he he went away sorrowful because he knew that money was his God and he couldn't have both God and money, and so he chose money. So we need to be able to identify the problems that are are growing within our hearts, and that's what we want to to look at briefly this morning. It's it's the idea of materialism, and we need to be equipped to fight against it. So first, before we can fight against materialism, we need to identify it. So let's start with a definition. If you look up materialism in a dictionary, it is the idea that the highest value lies in material well-being and in the furtherance of material progress. So the highest value lies in material well-being and the furtherance of material progress. In other words, it says that Buying and spending and accumulating is what's most important in life. Right? What is the meaning of life? Well, it's buying and spending and accumulating. That's what many people would would uh, would boil it down to. And I think when we hear something like that, we agree. Yes, that's materialism. And materialism is wrong. But then we look at our lives and we often buy things because we think that they'll make us happy, ultimately. Or because we think that they can help us escape from some kind of a fear. Instead of using these things to bring about glory to God, we actually entrust ourselves to these things. We we make them our master. And whatever you serve, that is your master. So while we say, yes, materialism is wrong and solely depending on God is right, functionally, we we are full of holes with that sort of idea. Instead of admitting our materialism, we rationalize it and say, you know, it's an investment or, you know, this brand that I'm purchasing is a durable brand or, or you know, it's for my kids. And and so there's a great danger in in this desire to to gain money so that we can spe- simply for the reason of spending. And, and obviously, on the other sp- uh, perspective or the other side, there's also a danger in, in uh, being miserly. That is... Uh, a miser can be just as materialistic as a spendthrift, right? The difference is that the miser, instead of finding confidence or trust in what he buys, he finds confidence or trust in what he what? What he has or what he saves. And and in the end, it's exactly the same. It's materialism at its core. It's trusting 
in what the world has to offer um, for our security and for our happiness. Now, again, I just every time I, I talk about materialism, I want to make clear that money itself is not evil. Okay, it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. But it's like dynamite. Right? If you use it the right way, it can do great good. But if you mishandle it, it can do you and others great harm. And so if we're going to be aware of materialism, we need to first ask, how do we rightly enjoy material things? And then how do we mishandle material things? So that's where we're headed. Or how do we idolize them? Any questions so far or comments? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that would sum up a lot of well, of people, right? Yeah. Yep. That's a good good example of uh, of materialism. Well, let's turn over to First Timothy chapter four because we want to think about rightly enjoying material things. I don't want you to come away thinking um, money by nature is evil. Uh, possessions by their very nature are evil. Uh, but there is a right way to to enjoy these material things. And there's actually uh, a group of people that would try to be ascetic, like the, the monkish type of lifestyle. They just remove themselves from all that they think is evil, which is everything that's in, in this world, including money. And so they try to live on just the the bare minimum. And, you know, the the extremes, you know, you have a monk that lives up on top of a pole or something like that. And um, and what Paul says here in 1 Timothy 4 is that, that that's, actually, that's actually just as sinful as consuming all of the material things and and uh, enjoying them for your own glory rather than for God's. So let's, let's see how we can rightly enjoy material things. Would someone read verses 1 through 5? Okay, so Paul's writing here to Timothy and he's saying that there are false teachers in Ephesus who are assuming that material things are by their very nature evil. 
This is the Platonic dualism that you probably studied about in your um, philosophy class. That that things are either the spiritual world is good and the physical world is evil. And so because of that, we need to stay away from the physical world as much as possible. Well, Paul says, no, that's not true. The physical world is not inherently evil. Notice what they were doing. Verse 2, by means of the hypocrisy seared in their own conscience. Verse 3, they forbade marriage and they they advocated abstaining from food. So marriage, which God created, we all know marriage God created to be good, Genesis 2, before the fall, right? There There was a couple that was married. So God created that to be good. And yet these men are saying, you know, you shouldn't be married. That's not a good thing. They're, they're trying to make out things that God made to be good and, and make them to be evil. And the same thing with food. Um, and so, um, so they thought that if they had the discipline to abstain from these things, then they would be more spiritual. And Paul not only thought that that was a bad idea, but he thought, notice how he describes it in verse 1, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Not only is that a bad idea, it's a demonic idea. That's not of God to say that marriage and food and all material things are by their very nature evil. Instead, he said God created these things to be good. Uh, notice that the second part of verse 3, abstain abstaining from the foods which God has created to be gratefully shared. So God created them to be good. And then verse 4, for everything God created created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude. So Paul taught, no, material things are not inherently evil, but rather they're inherently good. And how does that happen? Well, we can see three things in this these verses which help us enjoy material things rightly. First, thanksgiving. Materialism says you deserve this and you should take pride in it. In fact, you should boast about this. But on the other hand, when we're thankful, we recognize that all of these material things that we have are gifts. They're gifts from God. It's a gift that points us to the generous and loving God that we have. And so when we're thankful, we see our role not as an owner, but as a steward. And we see that life is not about us. It's, it's uh, as ridiculous for us to, to boast in the things that we have as uh, a guy who's going back to his 10-year high school re- reunion with a rental car, right? He's taking a rental car there because he wants to show what kind of uh, resources that he's accumulated in the 10 years that he's been out of high school. And, and um, so instead, we recognize that the things that God give us, it gives us is good, and instead of boasting, we are thankful. Secondly, uh, the Word of God. It's through the Word of God that God shows us how to use the things and ha- uh, that He's given us, that is, material things, and at the same time have no regrets afterward. God's Word helps us to enjoy the meal, but not go so far as to be gluttonous. You know, but but it also... Um, it's God's word, God's word that helps us to see things in a way that, that makes us appreciate God more. To be in awe of God's variety, and that His beauty in creation, His artistry and perfection. So it is God's Word that kind of sets the parameters or the boundaries for what what makes something good or what makes it good for us to use those things. So first, Thanksgiving. 
the Word of God, and then thirdly, prayer. In prayer, we express our dependence on God to rightly enjoy the things that He's provided for us. So whether it's a simple prayer of thanks before a meal or it's a petition to God to use the gifts that He's given to us in a way that would honor Him. In both cases, we're recognizing our need for Him. And so, how do we use material things rightly? We recognize that these are all God's gifts and are to be used for God's purposes, right? Uh, um, you, you know, we are managers. We're not owners. We, we simply manage the things that God has for, that, that He has given to us. We don't own anything. All of it belongs to Him. And so, we, when we use those things in a way that would please the Master, then, then, um, then that's when God is, is honored. It's, it's back to the example like I used with my, the owner of, of the company that I worked for. You know, when people spend his money in a way that pleases him, he's happy. When we spend the money in the way that he doesn't want us to do, you know, just go out and splurge or buy things that the company doesn't need or put lunches on the, on the account that shouldn't be, you know, uh, the, the, the owner's not pleased. Same thing is true about God. Turn to First uh, Timothy chapter six next, chapter six verse seventeen. And notice why God provides these things for us, material things. Someone read verse seventeen. Okay, so why has He given us all, and I would include material things, to enjoy? It's for our enjoyment. Okay, so don't think, when I use something for God's glory, I need to be pained by it. It's got to be a painful experience for me. No, God's given us material things for our enjoyment. Wealth and possessions are uncertain. Stock markets crash. Cars and computers break down. Businesses close. Paintings fade. To boast in them is to trust in something that we can't rely on. Instead, we hope in God who never changes, never fails. And when we do, we're finally free to enjoy the things that He's given to us in a way that He has intended. So we're not trusting in God's gifts, but we're trusting in God. When we trust in the gifts to be our final means for enjoyment, that's not what God... God's not saying, you know, make the gifts that I give to to you the final or the ultimate reason for your enjoyment. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, find your enjoyment in me by finding enjoyment in the gifts that I've given to you. You know, what father wouldn't want his child to, to enjoy the gift that he's given to him? And God's saying, these material things in this world, enjoy them. Marriage, food, money. You know, the things that money buys. Enjoy them, but enjoy them in the, re- the reason or in the way that will will honor me. So, so there's there's the one thing that we need to set out right at the beginning because we don't want to come away thinking that money and the things that money buys are inherently evil. Now, the other the danger though is that we can turn these material things into idols, and that's what materialism is. It's essentially placing the wrong value on money and possessions. You know, we have to have the the best colors and of of clothing or paint or whatever this delicious food beautiful music sensual pleasure sweet aromas all those things can be enjoyed and and should be enjoyed um 
as a gift from God, but but that's not always the way that it turns out. That is, we sometimes take things that we shouldn't have. That's what happened in the garden. All those things were given and and were to be enjoyed, but then sin entered the picture. And instead of treasuring God, we began to suppress the truth and treasure the gifts over the giver. And soon we started bowing the knee to nice vacations and jobs that give us power and status and bigger televisions and successful portfolios. And that is materialism. That is idolizing money and possessions. And when we do that, we trust those things over our God. Our love starts to rival, have, have a rivalry between God and money. And as Jesus said, you can't serve both. So how do we know if we become materialistic? Because as we saw at the beginning with the rich young ruler, it's dangerous to make money our God and our possessions our God. So how do we know if we have become materialistic? Think about a Christian who has a very demanding job. His schedule is crammed. makes it difficult to find time for his family. makes it difficult for him to find time in God's Word. And, and there's one sense in which, in which we can appreciate that challenge and we can be sympathetic to Him and for Him because there are seasons in life when we have to work hard to provide for our family, maybe take the extra job. But in another sense, I wonder if this man has crossed the line of transgressing God's commands. I wonder if idolatry has taken over because wants, desires, luxuries have now turned into needs in his mind. That that these things that once were luxuries have now become, I have to have this. And so I'm going to put, a, put aside my family. I'm going to put aside my time in the Word. I'm going to put aside my time at, at church and, and so on. And idolatry then has taken over. The truth is, it's hard to tell, isn't it? I mean, just, just in that example alone, you know, it's hard to tell has that guy become idolatrous or... Is he simply going through a difficult time in life where he needs to buckle down and work? So, how do we know when we've crossed the line into materialism and idolatry? Perhaps it would be helpful for us to take a, a self-assessment. So, to help, let me just give you five questions that, that we can reflect on. Number one, does owning X or desiring X distract you from what God has called you to do? So, does owning or uh, or desiring some object distract you from doing what God has called you to do? So, for example, working for the promotion at work is not sin. In fact, it may be what you need to do in order to provide for your family or to be generous. Remember some of the purposes of why we accumulate money? It's so that we cover our own responsibilities, our family, but also so that we're able to give to others when they're in need. But, But... What happens when I begin obsessing on how to get the promotion to the point that it's distracting me from loving my spouse, loving my children, loving my neighbor? At that point, it actually turns into an idol. In Luke 8:14, Jesus explains the seed, God's Word, fell among the thorns. stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. 
This is what I was talking about earlier. Riches and pleasures can choke out God's Word so that we are not fruitful. That's the only soil that was representative of a true believer. The one that actually bore fruit. That's the one, that the final one. But this one here with the thorns was not representative of a believing heart. It was someone who got um, excited about spiritual things, but then never, the, the root never took hold and never dug down deep enough for them to have real, genuine spiritual life. And it was money that was the catalyst that turned them away. Number two, second self-assessment question, what do you delight in? Where does your mind wander when you're left unattended? When you have free time to think, what is it that you think about? All things are created by God and designed to point us to God and to funnel our affections, our appreciation, our worship towards Him. And So it's fine to be excited about a big game or a delicious meal or new clothes. But when things become the only thing that we're thinking about or the primary thing that we're thinking about to the exclusion of God, we've actually replaced God. So what do you delight in? Second, uh, thirdly, what are you defensive about? What are you defensive about? When we're defensive about something being taken away or our hearts being exposed, it can often hi- highlight an idol something that we're putting too much value in over God. So what are you defensive about? What, what is it that makes you the most angry? Number four, how do you feel towards others who have more than you? Perhaps we're thinking, you know, like this example that Bill was giving earlier. Well, if we were in that position, you know, we would handle that differently than how, he, than how his boss did. You know, we'd be okay. Would we? Or do we go in the other direction where we came to a place of self-righteousness that, that I've accumulated this because of my ability and, and I'm going to use it however I please. It doesn't matter what the owner says. In fact, I'm the owner, not God. We may not say that in, in that stark of terms, but, but how do we feel towards others who have more than us? Do we covet them? Do we think that, that we could handle it better than they Number five, how do you react when you feel insecure? Acquiring material things can actually be a response to fear. So if I'm afraid that my house is going to be broken in, then iron bars on my windows might be a responsible investment. So how do you feel when you're insecure? It doesn't mean we we use no no, uh, security measures at all. Just leave all of our doors open. you know, unlocked and windows wide open and everything. That's not not the point. But but how do you feel when you're insecure? What do you? I mean, is is it a reasonable level of 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 of, um, of fear that you have? Not in a bad way, but in but uh, not sure of the future. That you're taking measures to protect your family and your things, or has it become an obsession that you just can't you can't consider or or ever have the idea that that these things would ever part from you. All right, any questions on identifying uh, how to use material things, rightly enjoying them, or sinful way of, of idolizing them?
Greg. <laughs> you could, yeah, you can do that. Come over at lunch, and, and we won't be there, but you might be able to find some walnuts or something outside the squirrels dug up. I'm not sure. Fighting materialism, next. So, my guess is to one degree or another, we, we struggle. You know, with those questions, it might, like, for me, start to reveal some things. Like, I, I'm not where I ought to be in this area. So let me give you seven ideas to consider for, for you if you are struggling with materialism. Number one, treasure the excellence and beauty of God. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if your heart right now is in material things and the accumulating and the saving of, of material things, then you're treasuring the wrong thing. Start treasuring God. Treasure His Word. Treasure His person. His work. There is... All of these things are passing away. They're not worthy to be treasured ultimately. And so put your treasure in in the One who will not pass away. And that means making reading and meditating on Scripture a priority in your schedule. It means that you should treasure God by treasuring His Gospel and sharing it with others. Maybe it means reading a good book with another member of the church. Learn to treasure God and His beauty. Secondly, fight for faith to rest in God. Fight for faith. This reminds me of Paul when he gets to the end of his life. He says, I've fought the fight. I've fought the fight. I've, I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. And that's that's our responsibility as a Christian. Right? God saves us, but we are called to cling to Him. And it's a fight, isn't it? It's a fight of faith. It's a work that, that we need to, to engage ourselves in as God works in us. So whether it stems from greed or fear, materialism is always an alternative to trusting God. So a good place to start is in fighting it to direct our trust to God. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 say, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So the the connection there is, as we rest in God's promise, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, then then that helps us to to, uh, unhinge ourselves from money and the things that money provides. We, we are not so attached to them that we have to have them. And that means that, too, when those things are taken away, we can still have joy, right? When, when the things that the world loves most are taking away, taken away from us, we, are not, we don't fall into despair and depression because we still have God. That's where our hearts need to be. Our need, it needs to be on His promises and what He's giving to us. So fight for faith. Number three, think about heaven. We need to keep eternity in perspective. Right? When we think about it in terms of eternity, materialism seems really foolish. Like, for example, when Jesus was talking to the rich man who's trying to accumulate more and more in Luke chapter 12, verses 19 to 21, he says, You have plenty of 
good things laid up for many years. Take life. This is what the, the rich man says. Take life, eat, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded. So I'm going to build bigger barns and, and store more for myself. And Jesus says, this very night your life's going to be taken from you. So when you have all those barns finished, when you have all that money protected, what good is that to you when your life is taken from you? That is, how valuable is your money in the next life? So think about it in terms of, of, of the eternal perspective. Number four, confess materialism as sin. Confess it as sin. So if you've crossed over, if you are struggling with materialism, then acknowledge it. Instead of trying to justify it, you know, I probably didn't really need such a nice watch or whatever, but I, I just got a little bit carried away. Sounds like it's not that important. But, but if materialism is, in fact, idolatry, then we ought to confess that to God. That means saying to God the same thing that He says about materialism. And so, root it in your heart. Don't, don't try to keep it up here on the surface and say, well, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that, but I, I did it and it's over. Lots of people do worse things than that. That's justifying. Instead, confess materialism as sin. Number five, Give generously. Here's a way to get your grip off of money and off of your resources. Give it away. First Timothy 6. We're there, right? Verse 17 we read. Verse 18 says, Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So you can't take any of your money with you, but here we learn that you can send it on ahead, can't you? You can send some ahead by storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. Give it away to people who are in need. Give it away to the work of God's program. This is how we lay up treasure. Yes, we can't take a U-Haul with us when, you know, when we die, but we can send money on ahead via the uh, heavenly FedEx or UPS or something like that. So when we give, we actually fight against materialism by using the money the way that it's supposed to be used, and that is to benefit others and to bring God's glory, uh, bring bring God glory. Number six, we talked about this: create a budget. Have a, having a budget is a great way to know where your money is is going. So, uh, the first step that I would recommend if you don't have a budget is to first just take an evaluation of where you are. So, for the next month, just start keeping track of everything that you spend your money on, okay, or, or everywhere that your money goes. That's the first step in making a budget. And again, these books that I recommend on the back of this handout uh, will point you to that same sort of thing. You need to start keeping track before you can know where where to start budgeting your money. You need to know where it's going right now, because I if you're not if you don't have a budget, you probably don't know how much money you're spending on various categories. I can just tell you that because of experience. So you need to start keeping track before you can take a budget. But, but put put a budget together again. The budget's not a, a save all, and if you don't have one, doesn't mean you're 
you're um, you know you're going to hell or something. But but having a budget is a great way to know where your money is and know where it's going. And then as you start to see, wow, I'm spending a lot of money on. Is this really something that's working for God's glory, or is this something that's working for my glory? Is this something that I'm enjoying because God's given this to me as a gift to enjoy, or is this something that that I'm enjoying um, simply for my own benefit, or or because I want to find my confidence in it rather than in God? And so it's it's a great tool. Budgeting is to manage our desires to solve a a happiness deficit. Number seven. Talk with others about it. You know, it's no different than when you are dealing with any other sin or any other challenge to grow in godliness. You should talk to other people about it. We need each other. Sanctification is a community project. Okay, Sanctification doesn't happen on an island. It happens among believers. That's the way God designed us to be. And so... So I would um, recommend that you first take an honest self-assessment. We did that briefly here today. You may or may not have given answers to those questions, but take an honest self-assessment when you have some time. Think through areas of budget, and then maybe in the next month, just sit down with your spouse or sit down with a friend and share your share your self-assessment with them, and be willing to 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 give answers to even embarrassing questions like what what purchase decisions do you most regret? Where are your weaknesses in spending money? How much debt do you have? How much do you have in saving? Now, obviously, you need to talk to someone who you can talk to in confidence, right? You don't want this just, you know, going in the um, the Madison Heights newspaper or something. So, so find somebody that you trust and someone that you, that, that will help you in your spiritual life. And I think this is a spiritual issue that needs to be handled. All right, any questions or comments? All right, next week we start um, a class on membership, and so I encourage you all to be here. Some of you are members already, but but that's okay. We want to know where, why we got here, where we're going, and uh, what we're doing. And I think it's important for our church to to go through this. And one of the two of the most valuable classes will be actually going through our statement of faith and our our church covenant, uh, because it's not something that's right at the front of our minds, not on a front burner type of issue. But I think it ought to be something that we at least consider and and recognize what we've agreed to when we come to join in membership of this church. And um, it's one of the things that sets us apart from other churches. Um, it's, it, it calls us to this body of believers. We're going to be committed to this body. So th- those will be two of the classes that we, we have. But we're also going to talk about some other things, why it's so important that we call ourselves Baptists um, and, and so on. So that starts next week. We'll have a, a, a break when Tim Schmig's here, but, but um, look forward to, to going through that with you. And then hopefully we'll also give opportunity for others who are thinking about joining the church of sitting in on that as well. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for uh, the gifts that you have given to us. Lord, we acknowledge that there are many times when we we use the resources that belong to you um, for our own purposes and many times even without thinking about you. And um, we are quick to to um, to waste, quick to 
to uh, hoard, and and yet uh, you are merciful to us, and you allow us to to be forgiven. And so we do ask that you would forgive us for our materialistic um, hearts, and we pray that you would help us to come in line with your desires for how we use our money and our resources. We want to do it for your glory, so help us in Jesus' name. Amen.